Hey, this is Brendan Gersall from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. So we are in Colossians chapter 3, and Paul is writing this letter to this church in Colossus about 62 AD, and this church was struggling in a lot of the similar ways that you and I as believers are, are struggling right now. They were dealing with a lot of cultural pressures, pressures from the empire, pressures of life, and then on top of that, there were these currents happening in the church of Gnosticism and syncretism. Gnosticism was this ideology that basically tries to separate matter from spirit and make people not really care about how they live their lives. It only matters what you believe. The church has been dealing with that heresy for a very long time. Also dealing with syncretism, this molding of a variety of ideologies and thoughts that had crept into Christian doctrine that were heresy as well. And so Paul comes with this word of correction for the people of God in Colossus, and he writes this letter, and as is Paul's custom, he opens all of his letters, almost all of them, with a greeting, and then he jumps right into theology. He starts to describe who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And the first couple chapters of Colossians do just that. But then in chapter 3, just like in a lot of his other letters, he, he, he pivots and hinges the letter and starts to make the, the theology meet practice and to make the belief system start to have transformational qualities in our lives. And that's where we pick up today in Colossians 3, where he starts to make the rubber meet the road. And this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. If you want a memory passage, this is a good one, along with other ones like Psalm 23. But Colossians 3 says this, and we're going to land at one big idea, but I want to read it in context. So it says this, Since you have been raised, let this just speak over you. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Behold Jesus. It's a focus issue. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Where's your focus? For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden. It's hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Wow. Let that just land on you for a minute. So here's the, here's the instruction. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things. This is prophetic over you. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time. Someone say, now. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have been stripped you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature, here it is, and be renewed as you learn to know, there it is again, behold, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Wow. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free from Miramichi or Richard Buckdo or Grandma Nan or St. John. It doesn't matter. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Breathe it in today, church. Now, 
I mean, that'll preach, but here's where I think I want to land today and what we need to consider. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There's the vision. This is what we are to look like, to be clothed in these things in this life. And then Paul gets right to the heart of where this battle is going to be won or lost. Look at this. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. Uh. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. Paul lays out this beautiful inheritance that we have and this unimaginable promise, unimaginable promise that we get to be full of the glory of Jesus and that we are to put on this life of kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And then he gets right to the heart of the issue where this whole battle is ultimately begun and won or lost. And it's on this issue of what you do with offense. Are you a person who can live in the constant flow of God's grace and mercy in such a way that you're able to give it to others or not? He basically says that the number one predictor of your ability to walk in new life is if you are a person who knows how to forgive. Uh-oh. That's a tough one, isn't it? Forgive anyone, it says, who offends you. Forgive, it doesn't qualify it. It just says forgiveness is going to be the central issue that you deal with. Deal with. Paul says you were brought in through mercy. You were brought in through forgiveness. Now live in that forgiveness. And this will be that which sets up your life to flow in gentleness, humility, kindness, and patience. These two things are connected. Notice it. And this is congruent with the teaching of Jesus. Jesus once said, he's talking in Mark chapter 11 about, look, don't even bother trying to live this Christian life if you are holding resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness to other people. In fact, I'm so serious about this, Jesus said in Mark 11, that if you go to the, if you go to the altar at the temple and you are worshiping and you still have bitterness in your heart, you might as well leave because I'm not hearing it. Go find that person and ask forgiveness. Go deal with the unforgiveness in your heart. Paul says, put on a new identity as a follower of Jesus and start by dealing with the primary issue of forgiveness. Now, why forgiveness? Because forgiveness is the entry point of our relationship with God. Mercy is the very lifeblood and economy of the kingdom. It's God's nature that flows from him, and it is the critical component that we learn to forgive each other as the Lord forgave us. It is the literal core of the life of faith. And missing forgiveness is at the root of 90% of the carnal works of the flesh that Paul talked about that we get caught up in. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, even sexual immorality oftentimes is a a root of bitterness clothed in in self-entitlement. And so Paul says you have to forgive. Now what does that look like? Some of you are already thinking, I don't have a forgiveness problem. I've got no deep grievances. Now hold on a minute. There's multiple layers to living a life of forgiveness. There's a few different ways in which this can affect us. Some of us deal with it large and some of us deal with it small. But there are some common ways that we short-circuit ourselves in the flow of God's kingdom. First is like just the small little day-to-day grievances. the, The petty, selfish ways that we do not release grace. Now some of you can't fathom yourself in this scenario, but let me, let me paint this in for you. You're driving down the highway. And it's a single lane. And some fool in a 1989 Cutlass 
comes in behind you and almost rear-ends you. And you're like, what are you doing? And you're so mad and you're looking in your rear view and he's, he's doing this number around you trying to pass. And what do you do? You slow down, of course. <laughs> don't, don't judge me. Right? You go down 20, 20 under the speed limit and you just start staring in your mirror. It's the petty ways we don't let go. It's when you're at Sobeys or Superstore and that little old lady who's trying to pretend like she's too old to know better cuts in front of you in line. Yeah, we know your tricks. <laughs> and you don't say anything at first. You just stand there all sour. Or then maybe you say, yeah, go ahead. And silently throw eye daggers at her back while she checks out her thousand groceries and a hundred lottery tickets. <laughs> or marriage. Isn't marriage breeding ground for the petty and the selfish? I remember one time, I'll, I'll be the guinea pig. I remember one time uh, we took the kids to Charlottetown or to, to PEI, to Cavendish. And I don't know what Melanie said to me that morning when we were packing the car, but it ticked me off, and I literally didn't say anything for like six hours. And then finally she goes, look, I don't know what your problem is, but me and the kids are having a great time. You're welcome to join us. Like, Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. It's the small little petty things, or, or maybe a little more serious, and I, I've been noticing this in my own life a lot lately. It's just this like, bitterness, this kind of cantankerous attitude that can creep up in us, the low-grade anger that just sort of burns, and you don't notice it until you see Trudeau's face <laughs> or whoever your politician you don't like, right? Or, or, or that, that attitude in the Maritimes that says, ah, nothing good ever happens here, and everybody's moving away, right? That like, that cantankerous Bitter, stinking thinking. COVID 19's brought out all the bitter, hasn't it? And then, of course, there are these like deep, deep wounds. These things in our lives that we have endured, people have betrayed us or hurt us or wounded us that can literally become part of our body almost. We carry these things in our day-to-day -day lives. They shape us and can dominate our thoughts and dictate our actions. But Paul says, if you want to put on the new life, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to be clothed in the glory of Christ, you want to live in this, you are going to have to learn to live in forgiveness. All of this petty, bitter unforgiveness short circuits the new life. Anytime we refuse to release grace to others, we short circuit the grace of God to ourselves. Now, some of you might be here today, and you're like, you, you know, you're at West or wherever you're watching online. You think, oh, it's easy for you to say, but you don't know, you don't know what they did to me. You know, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the betrayals I, I, I endured. You don't know, you weren't cheated on, Pastor Brent. You don't know what that feels like. You weren't abandoned as a child. You know, you, you didn't deal with the abuse that I dealt with. It's not that simple to forgive, and yet Paul does not qualify the offense, he just says, you have got to learn to forgive. He says, forgive anyone who offends you. And he doesn't qualify the offense. And I want to just break down for a couple minutes 
what it looks like and how we live the life of forgiveness. And it's actually loaded right here in this one verse. We can actually draw a lot of, of principles. We can find, I'm going to give you my points up front, a provision, a picture, and a power to forgive. And it's going to come through beholding Jesus. Let me give you my first point. We're going to break down the life of, of a person who knows how to flow in forgiveness. And here's the first thing we've got to see. See how greatly, if you want to live a life of forgiveness, you need to first and foremost see how greatly you have been forgiven. We need to behold Jesus who is the provision of our very own forgiveness. Here's the key. The key to forgiving others is in seeing how greatly we've been forgiven. You will never be able to forgive until you see that you have been forgiven. Letting go of offense begins with a deeper grasp of the grace we've been given. If we can't forgive as a believer, ultimately this is a vision issue. We have not perceived the depth of the grace that God has given us. If you withhold forgiveness, it means that you have not fathomed the value and the cost of the forgiveness that God has given to you. This is why Jesus, he, he taught him forgiveness. He, he, did a, he did an analogy. He did a parable called the parable of the unmerciful or the unforgiving servant. You can read it this week in your own study. But Matthew 18, he talks about this, this man who owed his master infinite money. And the master brings him in and forgives him. But then it tells us, Jesus in his parable said that that man who was forgiven then went out and fa- found somebody who owed him a fraction of what he had been forgiven. And Jesus ends his parable with this. Shouldn't you, the master says to the unmerciful servant, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now why, why is Jesus so like, why is that so gnarly? It's because in the economy of heaven, God has forgived us forgiven us an infinite amount. And when we withhold forgiveness with each other, it mocks the forgiveness of the master given to us. Jesus, there's another analogy. If you look in Luke chapter 7, there's the story of the woman with the, with the jar of alabaster perfume. And she poured the whole thing out on Jesus. It was worth a year's wages. And everybody looking was like, what a waste. Why are you doing that? And Jesus' response was this. I tell you her sins, they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows a little love. What's, what's it saying? The principle is this. That those of us who know how much we've been forgiven are able to forgive much. If you, are, if you don't get a grasp on how greatly God has forgiven you, you will never be able to let go of the offense of others. Holding on to Jesus' grace for us requires letting go of our offense with others. You can't hold both. And when you see how great the grace of Jesus is, you have to let go. The key to forgiving others is realizing how much you have been forgiven. If you are struggling to forgive and to live in the flow of letting offense go, it is rooted in a failure to see Jesus accurately. You don't get how valuable Jesus is. You see, in comparison to the value of Jesus, what was that one year's wages of perfume worth? Nothing. Nothing. This is why Paul says you need to remind yourself how greatly you've been forgiven. You know, it's important to preach the gospel to yourself daily. It's very important that you remind yourself of, of what Jesus has done for you. 
that we replay in our minds. Paul says, remember, remember that Christ forgave you. Remember the scandal of grace for your life. Do you realize what you cost him? Have you thought about that lately? A lot of the time we get measuring what other people do to us, but have you thought about lately what you have done to him? Have you considered the depth of the weight of your sin before a holy, eternal, infinite God? This is what Paul said in Romans 3, for everyone has sinned, all of us. Yeah? Any honest people in church? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar, so you're still on the list. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And that's the important part of sin. A lot of the time you and I measure our sin on human standard. Like, I'm not that bad compared to who? Hitler. Right? But that's not the standard that has been set for us. It's God's glorious standard that has been set for us. And when we sin against him, that is an infinite, eternal sin. That's why it's so magnificent, so huge. It's because it's a sin against God. So we have all sinned against God, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. And it's not just talk. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty or the debt of our sins, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice. He was the payment for our sin. So people, who's that? That's us. We're made right with God. We've been forgiven. We're made right with God when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. See the weight of your sin fresh today. I'm not saying to, to, to live in the past, but it is a healthy thing once in a while for the Holy Spirit to allow him to convict us of our shortcomings, to allow him to convict us of the things that we have done or not done in his name. Amen? to humble ourselves before him, to remind ourselves that it is against an infinite, perfect God we have transgressed, a God who has done nothing but love us since before we were formed in our mother's womb. And we then need to see the investment of God's only son who transcended eternity and put on human flesh. Imagine, I remember hearing one theologian say, like, to just to start to grasp the condescension of God to put on human flesh would be like if you became a slug to go save the slugs. Except more. See the investment. See the cost of our debt. Sometimes we need a fresh reminder of what our sin has cost. Amen? It was my sin that held him there, the song says. Behold Jesus, our forgiveness. Can I just remind you today that your salvation was not free? That you were bought with a price? The price of the precious blood of Jesus poured out for you. It was your sin that held him there. My sin that held him there. The sins of us all he took upon himself. Remind yourself of how greatly you have been forgiven. You have received. This is why Paul said, Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Can we remember that today? Do you remember that you're forgiven? That you too are a sinner saved by grace? Amen? Someone needs that reminder today. Someone's been in church too long, and you forget that you are a sinner saved by grace. It's easy. You get religious. You start to think, oh, I'm doing all right. No, we, we all, like sheep, have been led astray. It was him who saved us. We have received forgiveness. But then... 
I, I want to circle in on this word remember. It's not just that you have been forgiven, but how have you been forgiven? Like what, what was the way that forgiveness came? Through what? Through the... Starts with a C, ends with a Ross. <laughs> through, through the cross. Yeah, you were, there was a way that God forgave you. And, and here's the second point, and, and this is really important. I want to just zoom in on this, the way of forgiveness. See the way that you have been forgiven. The picture of forgiveness. Behold Jesus and how he forgave, the instrument of forgiveness, the, the implementation of forgiveness. Our forgiveness is patterned after the way of Jesus. Letting go of offense begins with a deeper grasp of what real forgiveness looks like. Real forgiveness is not a statement. It's a payment. It's not saying you're forgiven. It's paying for forgiveness. Forgiveness looks a certain way for Jesus. Now let's paint the picture of what forgiveness actually is. It's what, I'm going to break it down in these two sections. The way that Jesus demonstrated forgiveness, and this is how we need to apply this to our lives if we're going to live a life of forgiveness, is this. Forgiveness is first and foremost an aim and an action, and forgiveness is an acceptance and an assumption of the debt. Now let's break that down, an aim. What do I mean by forgiveness is an aim? Forgiveness is an aim to end evil. Ultimately, when we forgive someone, it is to stop the constant flow and economy of transgression. That's basically what we're doing when we forgive someone. Forgiving someone is caring about them as well. It's caring about the existence of evil between us. Jesus had a, had a teaching on forgiveness in Luke 17. You should go read it. But he says this in one part. He says, if another believer sins, rebuke him. Now, to rebuke someone is to actually confront them, to call them on it. And he says, if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, that's a key word, you must forgive him. Now, what does rebuking, repentance, and forgiveness have in common? They all seek the life of the individual. All of them are seeking the well-being and the eradication of the ongoing reality of evil in your relationship. Tim Keller said it best, the ultimate aim of forgiveness is to stop the spread of wrong or evil. See, sometimes when we get hurt by someone, we don't rebuke them, we just sort of stay away from them. But that doesn't actually end the evil, does it? It just lets it sit there and hover. But the aim of forgiveness is actually to confront evil. It's to actually hit it head on. But when we hit it, we are offering someone forgiveness and the opportunity to repent. Repentance isn't saying, I'm sorry to you, so much as it is turning to God and getting right with Him. And so when we forgive someone, our ultimate aim is that we turn together toward God and that we all would receive the life that He has for us. Forgiveness aims to stop the spread of evil. That is the aim. So why should you forgive someone? Ultimately, because you're letting evil exist in your relationship. And you as a believer who is committed to bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth do not want evil to have a place in as much as you're responsible. Amen? So that's why we forgive. It's saying, no, not on my watch. I'm not letting evil stay here. That's the aim. The aim is to eradicate evil. Now, forgiveness isn't just an aim. It's not just a goal. It's something we go after. And forgiveness, and this is really important for us, is an action. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Someone needs to hear that. Because you say, I can't forgive because I feel a certain way, but 
Your feelings have nothing to do with forgiveness. You can be angry and still forgive. You can still be hurt and forgive. You can still feel a certain type of way and forgive. Forgiveness is an action. Forgiveness is an action. It's something that we do. Jesus acted on the cross. He didn't just aim to stop evil. Amen? He actually did it. He put his body there. He stepped into it. And this is what we have to understand about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not based on what the other party does. Forgiveness is not based on how we feel. Forgiveness is a simple act of faith that we step out just like Jesus did and we say, I'm offering myself to this. Forgiveness is something you do. It is not something you feel. Forgiveness is simply deciding to let go of the offense, not demanding anything back. It's putting down your need for retribution. That's what it is to forgive. It is to put down, is the act of saying, you don't owe me. So let's break down this second part. This is important. This breaks down the action. Forgiveness is an acceptance and the assumption, not an assumption like an idea, the assumption of debt. It's an acceptance. What do I mean by an acceptance? For forgiveness to be real, we've got to actually deal with the reality of what happened. A lot of the time, especially Christians, let me know if you've done this. Out of some sort of unsanctified wisdom, or or I don't know what it is, but if you've ever been hurt, is it it your reaction? Like sometimes you you think, you know, to be like Jesus, I'm just going to say, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. Anybody? Oh, it's okay. It's no big deal. That's not real forgiveness. That's just kind of covering over it. Real forgiveness actually accepts the reality, the full cost of it. Yeah, no, that hurt. Like it really deals with the reality of what happened. It doesn't downplay the offense. It owns and assesses it accurately. Jesus always did this. You think about John chapter 8. John 8, the woman caught in adultery. Remember the story? She's caught in adultery. She was thrown out in front of Jesus. They were trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus said what? He said, I do not condemn you. He what? He forgave her. And then he said what? Go and sin no more. He called it for what it is. Girl, you are sinning and you got to stop. That is not okay. It's both. It calls the offense for what it is. And then it moves to the hard part. You're saying we haven't gotten to the hard part yet? No. The hard part is this, and this is the most Christ-like part. It's the assumption of the debt. Real forgiveness is when I pay for your debt. That's real forgiveness. It assumes the debt. It takes it on yourself. That's what Jesus did for us. To forgive someone is to assume the debt that they owe you. An offense is a debt, is it not? When someone does something to you and wounds you, they owe you that. They rob you. They stole you. They stole your trust. They stole your sleep. They stole your pain. They stole your money. That's what an offense is. And forgiveness is when we choose to not seek repayment, but we pay it ourselves. How Christ-like is that? Isn't that what Jesus did? To forgive? I I love this Greek word. There's a Greek word for forgiveness, and it's the word ephime. And the word translates to just to let it be so or to let it go. In fact, another translation, I love this because it makes you think of how Jesus did it for me. To forgive, the Greek word translates to suffer it. 
Uh, that, that word was used when Jesus asked John the Baptist to baptize him. And John the Baptist was like, I can't baptize you, you're God. And Jesus said, Ephime, let it be. Just do it. Suffer it. Uh, Jesus said, it said elsewhere in the, in the parable of uh, in Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, when Jesus said uh, the master let go or forgave the debt, it's the word of Fime, to suffer it. He just let it be. He, he absorbed it himself. This is what it is to actually forgive. Behold how Jesus forgives us. He suffered it. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not waiting for the person to get it. Forgiveness is not waiting until they make things right. Forgiveness is you and I, like Jesus, taking it on ourselves and absorbing the debt, saying, you don't owe me anything, I'll pay. That's what forgiveness is. Jesus did that for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body. He really paid for your sin on the cross, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He assessed our debt and he absorbed our debt through his actions on the cross. That's what forgiveness is. So let me break that down for you. What does this look like in your life? What does it mean to assume the debt? What does it mean to, to actually do that for someone else? Real forgiveness is when we pay the debt of somebody else. It's not saying it's okay. It's saying, I release you of your debt and I will pay. How do we pay for it? First, first way you pay in, in forgiveness for someone else's debt is you refuse to take payments for the wrong. What do you mean, Brent? What do you mean by taking payments? How do you take payments? Oh, I know all the ways I take payments with people who have hurt me. Let me tell you a few. We're cold to them. We give the cold shoulder. We ignore them. We cut them off. Now, some, some relationships are, are abusive and you, die, you need to keep space. I'm not saying that. But you know what I'm talking about. The ways that we kind of subtly just make them pay. Yeah? We're demanding we shun them, or, or how about this one? This is a classic trick in the church. We warn others about them. We try to tarnish their reputation. We gossip about them. We can't deal with them head on, so we deal with them with others. You destroy them. You shame them. You, you, you try to, even through self-righteous mercy, we can do it, can't we? Like, oh, I forgave them, and we put them down. Ultimately, how do we make someone pay? This is, this, really, this is how I do it. I root against them. Anybody else honest today? I don't want you to succeed. I hope you fail. It's those small, subtle ways our soul is trying to cash in on a debt that they owe us. So to actually assume the debt, first and, first and foremost... We refuse to take payments, and now here's the hardest part. Are you ready? It's like, it's still not hard. No, this is, this is the hardest part. We actually make payments for them. How do we do that? We try to extend kindness over and over and over. When we see them, let me know if you've ever done this. Have you ever seen somebody that you're at odds with or someone who's offended you or someone that there's some tension 
you're like at Canadian Tire and you see them go down aisle 14 and instead of like going down aisle 14, you duck into aisle 13 and hide. Is that just me that does that? <laughs> to assume the debt and to actually make payments is to actually step toward them. To keep coming at them with kindness. To say, not on my watch am I going to withhold grace to you. But you're kind as much as possible. We refuse to root against them is one way that we pay. We refuse to cut them down with others is how we pay. We pray for them. Jesus said, pray for your enemy. What better deposit can we do in a relationship than pray for our enemy? It costs us, but it pays down the debt. You know what I've learned in my life? I'm... I'm uh, almost 20 years removed now from taking on student debt. I have learned with a couple vehicles and I've learned with my student loans that small payments over time do pay down debt. Has anybody found that to be true? It really does, it works. Debts eventually go away as you make payments. And I have learned in my relationships too some of them take longer than others, but I've learned in my relationships that that small, simple act of obedience and to, to imitate Christ in being a person who just keeps paying and keeps depositing, not my debt, your debt, that over time, one day, I actually have the feeling of forgiveness. Has anybody actually... Ha lived long enough to have a relationship that went really sour and over the years you just kept letting it go until the day where you realized, you know what, I'm good. I actually, they don't owe me anything. It's possible. And that's what, that's, forgiveness is a process, y'all. It's an action and it's a process of slowly paying down debt. And look, some of you have been wounded so deep, it's gonna take your whole life. But here's the good news. As you keep giving and paying down those debts, of others, you are going to continue to receive the ever, never-ending flow of the grace of God to your life. Here's the last thought. Ultimately, this is an invitation to Jesus. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive. The key, the center of this verse is to remember the Lord, to turn, to behold Jesus, to come to him. You need to see the power you've been given to forgive in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the power for forgiveness. As you behold him, he gives you grace. Our forgiveness is powered by the grace of God we receive by faith. Letting go of offense here it is. This is the big point. Letting go of offense begins with a deeper grasp of the presence of God in our daily life. Some of you have been wounded so deeply. There is a God-sized hole in your, in your heart. There is a deep, deep wound. And let me just tell you the good news. Jesus is big enough to fill it. And I have learned, and I think some of you know this to be true, I have learned in my life, probably more so in the last couple years than ever before in my life, that these wounds that we endure from others are invitations to him. Has anybody ever learned that in their life? That's why Paul said, it was good that I was afflicted. 
because it caused me to go deeper into him, to forget all the other stuff. And behold, Jesus, the power of forgiveness. The power, forgiveness drives us to Jesus. Let me ask you this question in closing. What if your relational wounds, relational debts, your grievances, your pains from others, what if your relational wounds are an invitation into deeper union with Jesus? They are. I don't know if that person will ever get it. I don't know if they'll ever give you what, they, what you want from them. I do know this. Jesus invites you to suffer it and in so doing to draw closer to him than ever before. How many of you have gone through something and you know that there's, there's a type of intimacy that only comes through trauma, through shared trauma? Like some of you have lost a spouse and you have a bond with a person who knows what it is to lose a spouse. Some of you have lost a child and you have a special bond with someone who knows. Some of you have gone through, like bringing up children with special needs, you have a bond with other parents who are going through that challenge. There is an intimacy that comes through shared trauma. Here's the invitation. When you are wounded and betrayed by others, you have a deeper intimacy with Jesus who knows what it is to be wounded and betrayed by others. He invites you to himself. He is our true friend. He is the one. He's the man that won't walk out on you. He's the boss that won't take advantage of you, the master. He's the father that won't abandon you. He's the brother that is the true elder brother. Turn to him. Our wounds are invitations to intimacy with Jesus, to know him more. And intimacy with Jesus transforms us into his image. This is what Paul said, 2 Corinthians, as we behold the glory of Jesus, we are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. It's the invitation. I, I feel like there's some people, I don't know who I'm preaching to today. Part of it, part of it's just for me because I have been warring with wounds over the last couple years. I've had some big ones and some small ones. And I have heard the invitation of the Spirit in my own life. Like that relationship may never get better. It may never, it may never be what it was. But God is inviting me to imitate Christ in being a person who constantly forgives and lets it go. And in my imitation of him, I find intimacy with him. And in intimacy with him, I become more like him. Full of peace, full of love, full of hope, full of joy, full of kindness, full of gentleness, full of self-control. I want to be that person to you. We behold Jesus. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you today. You are called to live a life in the flow of God's grace and God's mercy. Just so that everybody at all of our locations, Charlottetown, Halifax, West, if you just close your eyes, bow your heads. And I, I want to just, I want you to just picture, there's probably multiple wounds for a lot of us. But can you just picture in your spirit, in your mind, maybe the person who, who's offended you? The person who's wounded you? There pro probably doesn't take a lot of digging for a lot of you. It's just right there. They come right to mind. I want you to take your hands 
And I want you, instead of going palms up, I just want you to just put them palm down and just as an act of obedience to God, just say, today, this day, I am letting it go. Just make it a prayer before Him. And say, tell God and tell your own soul that they don't owe me. I'm letting that go. I'm, I'm choosing the act of forgiveness this day. And God, give me grace to choose it tomorrow and grace the next day. And Lord, if it takes me a lifetime of small deposits of obedience, I'll do it because you did it for me. So Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you that we were bought for a price. Lord, I pray today that we get a deeper glimpse of the great cost, the great cost of our salvation demonstrated, poured out for us on the cross, that we would be humbled by that and that, Lord, it would arrest our hearts in such a way that how dare I withhold forgiveness when I have been so greatly forgiven? And God, would it cause us to move to action, to release, to forgive as we have been forgiven. Father, I pray for grace today for the one who's got deep, deep wounds. Lord, would they trust you with those wounds? Would they hear your invitation as they today choose to let it go, as they refuse to take payments and they start to make payments of forgiveness, believing that one day, God, that all all those debts will be covered, all those wounds will be healed by the power of Jesus. We thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a forgiver. Make us like you. Break our pettiness, break our crankiness, break our woundedness. Heal our woundedness, Lord. I pray this in your name. Everybody said, amen.